Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. Now, each one of us, there's something in us that we're meant to be doing in this world. But if we're not in an environment that allows us to explore that, like you said, we're going to be cookie cutter and we don't need, you know, 10 of me or 10 of you. We need one of me, one of you and one of every other person around us. And collectively together, that's how we do a lot of things that are amazing and are going to hopefully save this world and make the world a better place. And so I think education, especially university environment, plays the role of almost like a lab. Uh It's like, how do you create an environment that allows people, you know, there's different pathways, right? People who are very clear on what they want to do, like traditional role, more more traditional, like a teacher or a lawyer or a doctor. And so you have a, a certain pathway, but then there's a huge group of people who are like, I don't know what the hell I want to do. And, you know, that's where you know, entrepreneurs come in and that's where people who are creative come in and artists and everything like that, that really allows different things to show up. And if there isn't an environment that allows that, then it's going to be really black and white and boring. I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Christine, welcome to The Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Oh, thanks so much for having me, Srini. Yeah, it is my pleasure to have you here. So I actually came across your story by way of our mutual friend, Bob Gower. And, you know, when I was asking him for recommendations uh, for people that I should interview, your name actually came to the top of the list. So um, I want to start with a question that has been a lot of fun and really revealing to me. Um, what did your parents do for a living? And how did that impact your choices that you've made with your own life and career? Oh, intriguing question. Um, so both my parents, who are the best parents in the world, my father has worked for the post office for, I mean, life, life, pretty much. And then my mom has been, she was in advertising and then worked in credit unions, and now she retired early. So both of my folks have been really instrumental, less, I would say they're quote unquote, traditional career paths, but more in the way that they think about careers and how they've supported my brother and I in pursuing what we want to do mm -hmm. because neither of them went to college. Um, but the one thing that they always told my brother and I is try your best and have fun. And mm -hmm. that was the expectation. And I think that has really allowed, um, me to really explore and do what it is that I do in this world. You know, so the the whole try your best and have fun, that seems like such a, a strange sort of narrative to pass on to your mm -hmm. kids, especially, uh, you know, when your parents are immigrants. I know this, I'm speaking as an Indian, you know, uh, the child of Indian immigrant parents. That was never the message I got, really. It was more like, get an education, and if you want a really good life, become a doctor. Uh, <laughs> so I, I'm, re I'm really curious why you think it is that you had such a different narrative despite growing up with immigrant parents. Yeah, I... 
it's a, I think it's a lot of luck. I, I put a lot of that towards it. And then just having my parents be intuitively really smart and really high EQ, mm-hmm. because just like you said, it's like get an education, like traditional, like I'm, you know, I'm Chinese. My parents are from Hong Kong. I'm first generation. And everyone's like, oh, tiger mom or, oh, your parents like helicopter parents or, you know, these things that you hear all the time about the um, stereotypical Asian parents. And my parents just always said that. And it's really funny. I share this story when I go back and talk with high school students in particular, saying that I was an AP in high school and AP in college. Mm-hmm. AP in high school meant advanced placement. AP in college meant academic probation. <laughs> and... <laughs> And my parents were like, well, did you try your best? And I was like, yeah, one of my professors just really wasn't meant to be a professor. And they're like, well, there you go. As long as you tried your best and you enjoyed that class, take it again. And that's what I did and passed the second time. But um, yeah, really, really lucky to have such uh, supportive parents. (laughs) So I have a similar story. Um, It was definitely AP in high school. I never got myself all the way to being on academic probation, but my (laughs) grades, my grades were subpar enough that I barely squeaked by. Like there are moments where I thought, I'm like, I'm not going to graduate or I'm going to fail out of this place. I'm going to be one of those Berkeley statistics. Um, I'm curious in in the face of something like that, uh, how do you maintain confidence in the face of adversity when it, especially when, you know, when you're measured by something external like that? Yeah, I think a lot of it comes down to community and this will probably come up several times in our conversation, but really having people around you who see the best in you all the time and invite that person to show up continuously. Mm -hmm. I think especially my freshman year, so I went to Santa Barbara, it was the 15th choice on my list of universities and I was like, what the hell am I doing here? (laughs) And that first quarter was certainly harsh and was really lucky to have really awesome suite mates, really awesome people on my floor and people who were there from, you know, my high school and then people I just met. And I think being able to have a community like that, that's like, you're not an F up mm-hmm. <laughs> and you really are here and you're meant to be here. And, you know, if I didn't go to that school, my whole career trajectory would be totally different. Yeah. And so really, really fortunate that I didn't, you know, just leave and be like, this is not for me. I need to go somewhere else, but really, you know, sticking it out and just going through it and making the best of it. And so um, community is a really, really important part of things. Mm. You know, it's interesting because, uh, you know, you said the whole trajectory of your career would be so different if you, uh, you know, hadn't oh, gone yeah. to Santa Barbara. And I, I look at, you know, the Pepperdine MBA, which I, I, to me, that was, you know, for my grad school, that was like my dead last choice. It was kind of like, this is mm-hmm. where I, it was kind of like, I have totally fucked up and that's how I've ended up here. Yep. Um, and my my trajectory would be completely different if I had actually gotten into one of the schools that I wanted to get into. Yeah. Um, and so I guess the, the question then that comes from that is why do some people adapt to their environments and thrive as a byproduct of their adaptation and why do others not? So I will default again to the community, but I'll kind of also go into mindset. Mm-hmm. I think so much of it is, and this is something I think that continuously is being developed, but especially in your early, early years, but being able to have a mindset where you are really responsive and adaptable and understand that you are, you know, we're here on this earth for a very short period of time and we are just channels. And so if you can understand and get to the point where you are you know, you're basically, I'm using my hands that you can see me, but you're basically in flow. Like you, in order to be in flow and to be whatever it is you're meant to be on this earth, you have to be adaptable. 
And I think having that mindset that allows you to be like taking the shittiest situation and being able to make the best of it, or at least reframe it in a way that is more generative for you and the people around you Mm -hmm. allowed you to do that. Granted, I know that I am also very optimistic and very positive in the way I look at things and environment is very challenging when you think about global scale. Mm -hmm. But I think um, the way that I've grown up and been able to approach that really has been a lot of the people you surround yourself with. And the way that you see things, you know, happening through you, not to you, not at you, Mm -hmm. it's really, you know, being able to work with things. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that given the the sort of pace at which the world is changing, adaptability is one of those things that is just a fundamental skill to actually thriving because of the fact that the only constant seems to be change. Totally. Absolutely. You know, it's interesting because over and over, and I, I have a feeling this is going to end up being a big theme in our conversation, you keep <laughs> mentioning the people that you surround yourself with. And, you know, I, I kind of look at my own life and when I look at it, I can directly correlate the periods in which I have absolutely thrived to the people that are in Mm. my life or the people that are a constant presence in my life. For sure. For sure. It's like that whole adage of, you know, you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Yep, absolutely. And I feel really fortunate that those five people change almost on a daily, weekly basis. Uh Yeah. I mean, I've been fortunate because mine are are constantly changing as a byproduct of being exposed to people like you. (laughs) Awesome. I'm curious, walk me through sort of uh, the sort of trajectory of, of your career from leaving Santa Barbara to the work that Mm. you've ended up doing today? Sure. Yeah. So in Santa Barbara, I was really fortunate. I started with an internship with Nike Mm -hmm. and I have this theme that runs throughout my life where I create what I want. And so when I was graduating, I was really fortunate to create a role for myself where I was running basketball tournaments around the country. And it was just like, literally, I was like graduating. I was like, uh, you guys have like different contractors running these tournaments. You should just hire me and I'll do it all. They're like, okay. And so I was really fortunate to have the opportunity, did that for about six years. And then at the same time, you're familiar with the UC system, Um, UC Merced was just opening the 10th UC campus. And so I was really fortunate to be a fellow during my senior year. And one of our recommendations during the think tank was hiring, um, you know, recent graduates to be RAs and founding staff members. Uh And so I went to open that university, super fun, like, here's a hard hat, go figure it out. (laughs) And um, I helped them do student leadership, student government, and yearbook, and was probably like the best opportunity right out of college. Because one, when do you get to open a university? Uh And then two, when do you get an opportunity to be in college but not have to go to class? (laughs) That sounds awesome. (laughs) So it was really fun, although it was in the middle of nowhere. Um, It is, you know, the quote unquote gateway to Yosemite, but uh, middle of nowhere. And then I came back to Santa Barbara and was continuing to do my Nike job. I'm a workaholic. So back in the good old days when you used to find opportunities on Craigslist, I found this uh, role where it was like international marketing company looking for intern. And so I write to them being like, hey, not a student, don't need to pay me. I'm just really intrigued by the work you guys are doing and just want to get to know what what you're up to. So I go in for an interview with the CEO And I was like, you know, we had a conversation. He was like, great, can you start next week? And I was like, well, I have this other job. I can start in a couple weeks and I can come in like starting at 5, 5.30 a.m. And he like looks at one of his colleagues and is like, are you coming in at 5 a.m.? I'm not coming in at 5 (laughs) a.m. And so they were an international company. I figured, great, you know, I can come in half a day, whatever, then go to do my Nike stuff. And so um, 
I did that for about two weeks. And then within two weeks, they're like, you're just gonna get a key. And I did both jobs for about a year and a half. And then at the year and a half mark, they were like, we really need to hire you full time. And I was like, make me, you know, make me a deal. Let's talk about it. And so transitioned out of my Nike job into this startup that was in hospitality. It was kind of like a match.com between Uh luxury hoteliers and corporate meeting planners. You think about being like a Ritz Carlton and do you want a family or do you want like a company to bring their corporate event there? And so we had a magazine, a website, in-person events. Um, I was number four in the company, helped them go to 35 and basically was traveling around the country testing hotels and activities and spas and dream job, total dream job. (laughs) That sounds awesome. (laughs) And it was like at a certain point, probably four-ish years into it, I was like, this is such an incredible dream job. It's no longer my dream job though. I need to go find my next one. Uh-huh. And so I took uh, took my first sabbatical then and just traveled around, ironically, <laughs> and um, just like had conversations with people. And I think as many people in the startup world know, you like have your blinders on, you're like in the trenches. And when you take a breath of fresh air, you're like, whoa, there's this whole world out there. Mm-hmm. What am I meant to be doing? And so was lucky to come across a fellowship uh, called Pro Inspire that moved me out to DC. It's like a sector switching program that takes folks who come out of traditional like undergrad, grad school, go into iBanking, investment banking or consulting um, roles and takes their really um, functional skills and places them strategically into nonprofits. So really building the talent pipeline. And so did that for a year and a half, absolutely loved DC. Um, After that, took another sabbatical for about nine months. And we talked about this briefly earlier, but about dating organizations. Mm -hmm. And so I was really lucky to come across Delivering Happiness at the time. Uh, Delivering Happiness was a book that Tony Shea, who's a CEO of Zappos, wrote. And um, I met one of his best friends, Jen Lim, who helped him write the book. And so we got in a Skype chat and, you know, within 20 minutes, like, oh, you know, let's talk about how you can help our team. And I was like, all right, cool. And so really took time to like date them and really understand their business model and their team and their clients and their vendors and all that kind of stuff and proposed this chief of staff role, which um, I was until last year. I'm taking my third sabbatical now. Mm -hmm. And so right now I'm just kind of in a really exploratory space around where can I best serve and show up next? Because I've always had this drive to be of service when I was young. Mm -hmm. And so right now just taking some time to you know, just be versus do, which we're so programmed to do (laughs) all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, That raises so many questions. So I I have to ask about the basketball thing. Um, I don't know if you've seen it, especially since you, you, you know, coordinated basketball tournaments for Nike. There's a documentary on Netflix called At All Costs, um, which is about, you know, youth amateur basketball, but it almost comes across like pro basketball because these kids are basically in the limelight. They're getting, you know, Mm -hmm. shoe companies sponsoring them. Um, but I, I guess the real question for me is uh, from, you know, observing sort of what happens in these basketball tournaments and watching elite athletes, what did you learn about performance and um, goals and, and achievement? Yeah, I think I was at a really interesting stage. So I was helping high school athletes uh-huh. get college scholarships. That's okay. how I describe it. So it was mainly high school tournaments. Right. Um, and so I think even at that level, though, very much to your point, I haven't seen that yet. So I'll, I just add it to my list. Yeah, but... I think you'll dig it, especially given <laughs> the work that you've done. Yeah, but very much to your point, I think there's so much pressure. Uh And so I think it's almost like you have to 
kind of protect or nurture people who really love and are passionate about the game because that's like a very precious spark. Mm -hmm. And so I think, um, I don't know, I think you asked more about performance, but being able to, I think, really just allow people to do what they love. And then if they love it, hopefully with practice and persistence and determination and hard work, like you're going to become good at it. So, um, so yeah, I don't know if I answer your question though. Yeah, you did. I, I think the, the most interesting observation was the, the notion of preserving that spark. And, you know, it, I think the, the thing that was most revealing to me about that documentary was the role of parents in mm-hmm. preserving the spark and how a parent can yes. actually basically kill the spark if they're not careful. Thousand percent. There have been, unfortunately, I have witnessed this multiple times when parents will throw a huge fit, whether at the referee or the, or the coach or anything like that. And that kid is so embarrassed and it's incredible to almost like as a parent, like take yourself out of it. And it's like, it's not you. It is like your child who is, you know, playing, performing, doing whatever, like let them have their moment. It doesn't have to be about you mm-hmm. and don't make it about you. And so it is incredible how parents are a huge part of that, whether it's supportive or disruptive or anything in between. So these kids who are, are in high school um, who get college athletic scholarships, I'm guessing there is a work ethic and a drive that is involved in that that is above average for a high school student. Definitely, yeah. Wow. Um, I'm trying to think of what it was that I wanted to, to say. <laughs> oh, here's a question. Um, how, much of, how much of that involves natural talent? Because I, you know, I, I look at myself and I, I wrote myself off pretty much by seventh grade as not an athletic bone in my body. But, <laughs> you know, I'm a surfer and a snowboarder, which are two right. incredibly athletic things, which I picked up later in life. And I, I'm curious how much of what these kids bring to the table is just natural and how much of it is actually the byproduct of the amount of work they put in. Yeah, I think the first thing that came to mind when you asked that question was creativity. Mm-hmm. It's almost like one of those things where, of course, there's going to be you know natural talent, natural ability, mm-hmm. but I really think it's someone's determination and their own belief in themselves and the people around them who can believe in them to do that. And so I recently, very briefly, saw a video of a larger um, gal who is a ballerina and how she's really breaking that stereotype. And so I think... As a society, there's so much of what a quote-unquote athlete should look like. And so I think it's, of course, natural ability will help propel you, especially if you want to do it professionally. Mm -hmm. But I think when you're younger, especially in elementary and high school and maybe even college, if you love the sport and, you know, you have a good time doing it, keep doing it. And hopefully the more you do it, especially with people who you enjoy spending time with, I call it like social fitness. Mm then you're, you know, you're just going to have fun and hopefully be in shape <laughs> while you do it too. So, um, so yeah, natural ability for sure, especially in, you know, becoming an Olympic athlete or anything like that or a professional athlete. But I think at a younger age, it's like being able to just have fun and yeah. do what you love. Cool. Um, well, let's shift gears a little bit because, you know, I, I knew about the the Merced piece. It was one of the pieces that interested oh, cool. me tremendously about your story. I was like, wow, you, know, you played a, a role in building an, instit- an educational institution from the ground up. And, you know, anybody who's listened to the show knows that I am probably one of the staunchest critics of you know, higher <laughs> education in its current <laughs> form because I think it's broken. I think it's yeah. incredibly broken. Um, yeah. I think it's, you know, I, I said in this piece that I wrote today, 
it's a one size fits all solution. We would never sell anybody, you know, every single person the same size of shoes and expect them to walk perfectly, but we do that with education and expect them to thrive. Mm. Um, so having built an educational institution from the ground up, I'm curious what you think the future of education is going to look like, what's right about it, what's wrong about it, and what would you tell parents who are listening to this? Yeah. Which are so like I three definitely, questions in one, I realize. Yeah. So I'm going to hopefully capture them all. Um, and if I tangent or I might ask you to repeat those questions, but, sure. um, first one I acknowledge, I was like a very, very small minutia piece of building that university. Um, but in terms of education and I think the first part you're asking, like, where is it going or how, how is it going to continue evolving? Mm-hmm. Is that part of the first yeah, question? I think that's, that's, that's about right. Yeah. Yeah. I think, oh, man, this is such a important and big question. I think education granted, I was not a good student, so I didn't even graduate with a 3.0, so take that with a grain of salt because just like to your point, I think university, any education is what you make of it, Mm -hmm. and so I think it's really important to, especially for parents who are listening, to really allow their kids to explore and to really support them in the exploration. I really think that so much of education is going towards a path of experience and being able to figure out what are the real world needs and how is the world changing so that we can be very much to our earlier point adaptable to how we fill those gaps or really serve and how we're all evolving together. And so I think education plays an important part in terms of a certain part of like it's important to understand history and what has gotten us here so we don't make the same mistakes. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I think being able to teach more around creativity and you know, human-centered design and things that are around quote-unquote innovation. So I'm in the Bay. It's like those are all very (laughs) buzzwords, I know. But being able to just allow people to explore because, you know, each one of us, there's something in us that we're meant to be doing in this world. But if we're not in an environment that allows us to explore that, like you said, we're going to be cookie cutter. And we don't need, you know, 10 of me or 10 of you. We need one of me, one of you, and one of every other person around us. And collectively together, that's how we do a lot of things that are amazing and are going to hopefully save this world and make the world a better place. And so I think education, especially university environment, plays the role of almost like a lab. Uh It's like, how do you create an environment that allows people, you know, there's different pathways, right? People who are very clear on what they want to do, like traditional role, more more traditional, like a teacher or a lawyer or a doctor. And so you have a, a certain pathway, but then there's a huge group of people who are like, I don't know what the hell I want to do. And, you know, that's where, you know, entrepreneurs come in. That's where people who are creative come in and artists and everything like that, that really allows different things to show up. And if there isn't an environment that allows that, then it's going to be really black and white and boring. And so, you know, hopefully I think there's some really cool universities out there and other educational institutions that really get that and they're trying to experiment and explore, but you know, that that's a huge shift. And so hopefully we are, you know, all in it for the long game and can start making those shifts, whether in, you know, traditional universities or new ones, and then really learn from each other too. I think that's a big part of it as well. Um, do you think that everybody should go to school or to, to college? <laughs> that's a funny question. Uh, I mean, a good question, not a funny question. I think, that I mean, no, I think there's been so many incredible young individuals who 
almost like here, maybe I'll use this example with, um, since we've been talking about sports, Mm -hmm. just like there's some athletes who get offered to go pro early, whether in high school or college, you have a very few, you know, short window of being at your highest, um, physical peak to be able to perform at that level. So very similarly, intellectually wise or creativity wise, there's certain periods of our life where we are, you know, compelled to do different things. And also at the same time, I think when you're younger, you have more optimism and you aren't quote unquote kind of like jaded by, by things in the, in the big system. And so I don't think everyone has to go to school. Um, I do think that it's education is extremely important and, you know, figuring out how do you make yourself, you know, aware and educated and, and, you know, knowledgeable, I think is critical. But I think in terms of doing it in a traditional university or college environment isn't always for everybody. And so long answer short, no. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. You mentioned, you know, physically people are at their peak at a certain age, which I, I completely agree with. And, um, you know, you, you mentioned also that we have certain sort of capacities at a very young age to learn things and develop and, and become more creative. Um you know, I have found that my risk tolerance has actually gone up as I've gotten older, partially cool. because probably, you know, I failed at everything I did when I was younger. Um, <laughs> Get out of the way early. <laughs> yeah. And I, I'm curious, you know, what do you think accounts for the difference between a person whose risk tolerance goes down with age versus a person whose risk tolerance actually goes up? Mm. I think, again, I'm, I feel like I'm repeating all my answers, but um kind of environment and, and the people you surround yourself with. Yeah. I think the whole risk factor and also, of course, mindset. So the people who surround you, I call it the platinum rule. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we were raised on the golden rule, treat others like you want to be treated. But some people treat themselves like shit. So I actually don't want you to treat me like that. <laughs> so <laughs> the platinum rule is how do we treat ourselves and others like our best self? So I'm always seeing the best in you and you're always seeing the best in me. And, you know, sometimes all we need is someone to be in our corner, to be our cheerleader, to give us that boost of confidence. And the platinum rule is very upward spiraling versus the golden rule being very status quo. Mm -hmm. And so I think being able to surround yourself with people who believe in that and our values aligned to that and really help you evolve, allow you to take more risks. But if people are like, Srini, why the hell are you doing that? Like you want to be a basketball player now really like what and like hearing those things you know really influence your mindset too Mm -hmm. and so that is you know it's all connected and it all plays a part of that and I think our environments too as we grow older we have different priorities and things change and so you know really being able to foster and maintain an abundance mindset versus mm-hmm. a scarcity one allows people to hopefully take more risks and taking more risks allow us to hopefully make more improvements and really push out towards edges and the fringes to really explore how do we continue you know moving up versus staying where we are small details are big surfaces tight corners are odd shapes flat rounded textured or tall Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. You know, another theme that I've kind of uh, noticed throughout our conversation is is one of exploration. Um, and that there are two things that you said that I, I couldn't let go because they, they were just so interesting to me. One was this notion of creating your own career and creating jobs where ones didn't exist. And the other mm. is you've mentioned multiple sabbaticals. So mm. um, the two questions come from that. One is, you know, if you were asked, you know, guiding somebody on how do they create what they want to see exist, if it doesn't exist, what would you tell them? And two, what is the value of taking sabbaticals and, you know, what have you learned from your own sabbaticals and how do you get the most out of a sabbatical and how does yeah. that impact your career? Great questions. The first part in terms of how do you create your own career or your dream career, whenever I talk with anyone, it's always really understanding what lights them up and what drives them and like what they love to do. And so, you know, I'm, I'm also really understanding that passion doesn't pay the bills. And so there has to be a balance of that. And so when you think about 
any kind of dream job. Like for me, the reason why I got that hospitality job was I saw a resorts and great hotels magazine at the bookstore one time and was like, who does this? Like someone has to produce this and do this and figure this out. Why not it be you? And so I think when you are thinking about what you want to do or what your dream career could be, think about where you spend your time if you weren't paid for it. And think about, you know, what that can evolve into or are there things as you're doing them that you understand and see are opportunities to fill. And so being able to have a lot of conversations with people, I think, is a really important part. And then, like you said, continue to explore and do things that, you know, kind of allow us to stretch our identities. I think we oftentimes put these hats or roles on ourselves and how do we continue figuring out what lights us up? Otherwise, why are we living? Mm -hmm. And um, so I think being able to say, okay, well, there's an opportunity. Why not it be me? Start having the conversation to then hopefully get you into those opportunities and roles and in the room to be able to, you know, raise your hand or be able to be like, hey, I want to try that out. And a lot of times, all of my, almost all of my jobs, I've either been an intern or just started out unpaid for just to date and really figure out how it's going to be a mutually generative, beneficial relationship. And then, you know, once they see the value add in you, then you can go from there. And so just really being able to look for those opportunities. And to your second question around sabbaticals, can you remind me the questions again? Yeah, so I, I mean, can. <laughs> what have you, one, what have you learned from them? What's the value of them? And, and how do you get the most out of a sabbatical? Mm-hmm. And how has each mm-hmm. sabbatical impacted each chapter of your career? Yeah, I, I mean, sabbaticals are so incredible. I think, like I mentioned, I'm like a workaholic and I love to work because I love what I do, so it doesn't really feel like work. But sabbaticals are also so important because it allows you kind of like freedom of time and space. Uh-huh. We talked about this before we even started this um, this podcast, but I think being able to like freedom of time and space is like a non-negotiable. And so how do you create that or allow that for yourself? A lot of times it's just giving ourselves permission. And so I think sabbaticals are a – at least somewhat (laughs) society okayed thing to do versus being like, Oh, I'm unemployed. You know, like I'm fun employed. Oh, I'm just taking a sabbatical. I'm taking time out of my life as a choice to figure out how can I best serve and show up next? Like where can I be of most service and where is that going to work where I can get paid and have fun and it's hopefully making an impact. And so without sabbaticals, I feel like, We just jump from job to job Mm -hmm. and almost blindly in some instances. I mean, a lot of us are very lucky too where, you know, your job evolves and it's like, you know, really successful as well. But I think being able to carve out time where you can, you know, do whatever you feel compelled to do. Like right now, my my husband and I, we joke that we sometimes feel like we're retired people in the (laughs) sense that... You know, we're taking time to enjoy life now while we can versus working, working, working so hard like our parents in that same mindset of we'll enjoy it later, but later may not come. And so how do you, you know, work hard and play harder and mm-hmm. and figure out a good cycle for yourself, whatever that is. Like I know there's some artists who take sabbaticals every six or seven years and take like a whole year off. And so how do you work and set yourself up so that you are not in this, you know, 
scarcity mindset, but you set yourself up for this abundance mindset where it's like, I'm going to work really, really hard so that I can take, you know, a few weeks, a few months, a year or so off to really explore and see what, what is interesting to me. Like, and that evolves all the time. So mm-hmm. being able to do multiple sabbaticals, I think, is a really big gift. And I understand it's a really big luxury. And um, But I also think about it as a really big responsibility for me to figure out what it is that I can do in this world to hopefully help others. Mm-hmm. So knowing all of this, um, you know, this idea of dating, this idea of sabbaticals, mm-hmm. why do you think that this is not the way organizations are run and this is not the way we hire? Uh, despite the fact that the results could be astounding and really great for organizations. Yeah. I think, I mean, at the end of the day, business has to work and run. And so I have a, I have a belief, a core belief that a lot of businesses start out because they want to do good in the world or they're trying to solve a problem at least. And so I think a lot of organizations, like tomorrow will come. (laughs) Business will still hopefully be here. And so at a certain stage in organizations, how do you create that space for your employees or your team? So I think a lot of businesses, because they're in this race or this competition with others, which is healthy, I think, but also how do we shift it more towards being more collaborative and more supportive of if we are, for example, like five companies that are all trying to figure out, I don't know, X problem, right? Mm-hmm. Um, why are we trying to pull at each other's business versus having a conversation with each other and figure out what part of that ecosystem or what part of that spectrum we're each solving? And it's kind of like that team building activity where you get like a, a piece of wood and it's like, okay, each team gets one piece of wood. Who can get across the fastest? It's like if we actually just put all our planks together and run across, we can all run across much faster than any one team could potentially do it themselves. And so, again, idealistic, optimistic, but think that there's possible ways of running business that way. And so if we can get in a place where businesses feel more safe and more comfortable in doing that, hopefully that will trickle into employees also understanding that their job will still be there. And, you know, everyone's replaceable to some regard. So, why not take a sabbatical and take time to go out of your industry and learn? And that whole, um, there's a book called The Medici Effect. Mm-hmm. I think that's what it is, where it's like how elephants and epidemics will save the world. So, like, how do we help businesses reinnovate that way by learning something that's not in their, you know, in their field and allowing team members to basically go out and be these awesome kind of like tentacles of information and inspiration and knowledge and then come back and, you know, figure out how it's going to apply to their business and and grow it that way. And so I think businesses just it is a it's a big mindset shift. And mm-hmm. so I think that's why they haven't gotten there. The second part of your question I remind me again of that. The the dating piece, like why is this uh-huh. not the way we hire? Uh, I think it's moving that way. <laughs> yeah. At least I'd like to hope so. I think there are a lot of, uh, of good friends are kind of working at that talent matchmaking mm-hmm. kind of um, space. And so I think there is a growing, at least from the bubble of the Bay Area, there is a growing move towards talent and bringing people on and building teams that way. I think in other other places, it's the whole, again, scarcity of like, we need to get the best talent. We just need to get them now and figure it out and then keep them here. Mm-hmm. And um, and yeah, I don't know. Sometimes your employees are way more valuable when they're actually not part of your team. Yeah. Like, 
when they leave that you have a really good rapport. <laughs> it's like a revolving door, right? It's like, I mean, I feel really fortunate with delivering happiness, even though I'm not involved in a day-to-day basis anymore, to have, you know, a, a really good rapport with the CEO and the team to be able to have conversations and still give them opportunities and ideas and things like that. And hopefully it's also generative and beneficial to them. So, um, so yeah, sometimes your employees are even better when they leave. <laughs> so I, um, I had to ask you, uh, what did you learn about leadership success and human behavior from working uh, up close with somebody like Tony Shea? So I have to caveat. So Tony, I didn't work closely with Tony. Okay. Um, I described him as like our Yoda. Uh-huh. He you know, was an advisor and he's running you know, Zappos and is also involved in the downtown project. So um, with Delivering Happiness, I mean, with Interactions Limited that I had with him, it's incredible how much he surrounds himself with people who are really passionate and have good ideas. And he seeds them and kind of gives them space to experiment and kind of just go with it. And so I think it's really incredible from what I've observed and experienced that in terms of leadership, you know, you sometimes want to be the weakest link (laughs) in some regards, not saying he is, but I think his uh, approach to surrounding himself with people that are different than him and really being true to themselves allows him to really create, you know, an awesome business like Zappos that at their core is selling shoes or other things online, but they have a really cool culture that allows people to kind of bring in their own unique personalities. And that's why they have such great customer service. Mm -hmm. And so I think being able to, you know, invite people and their unique self to show up and creating an environment that fosters that allows everyone to be a good leader, which then of course makes him look like an, you know, a badass leader. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, there's something I read in your bio that I knew that this would really sort of be the the core thing that I wanted to ask you. You know, you talked about tapping into communities to maximize profit potential and happiness. Mm. Um, And I want to talk about how you leverage community to do those three things and how anybody can leverage community both in their lives and in their work to do those three things. Yeah, I think, I mean, all like we're all connected. Those things are all connected. I mean, this whole world is so connected and that's what community is. Community is this, you know, body of people who hopefully have aligned values and really want to help each other, you know, do the best individually and collectively. And so when you're in a community, whether you see a community as something that's physical, like your neighborhood or a community of your team and the people that you work with or a community of uh, events, like when you go to different events and you go to these programs and things, and that's a community, um, you're able to really be supported by them. I I think that when you think about profit, when you think about purpose, when you think about um, just you know being happy and fulfilled in life, being able to do them in community makes it worth it. Because if you're doing it by yourself, it's kind of lonely and it's not as fun. It's not happy, and or you know most people <laughs> think that. And then um, being able to make something that's profitable and something that is value add and the world needs, being able to have community to bounce ideas off of and get different perspectives and get different insights is is invaluable. And um, being able to do things of purpose, hopefully we're all in it to do something that's bigger than ourselves. And that's kind of what community does. It's like when you're a body of people that are doing things, whether, you know, 
really connected and doing it together or supporting each other and doing it, you're hopefully making momentum and pushing, you know, forward and progress and, and doing things that are, you know, making the world a better place. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's interesting. I, I think about the, the sort of role of a community and making us feel like we have a place to belong. And, mm. um, you know, my, my friend AJ Leon runs a design agency called Misfit Inc. And, you know, they run a conference in Fargo and I, I think never was the power of a community so apparent to me as it was when I went to their conference the first time I was a speaker, but it was a 30 to 40 person conference. And in, you know, four years of going to events like this for the first time, I thought I've found my people. I belong. here. Mm, um, nice. These are my kinds of people. I like the way they think. I like the fact that they're creative. I like the way that this event is run. Um, it's everything that, you know, I hated about events subtracted from the events that Mm -hmm. I've been to. Yeah. Um, Yeah. It just, it was really amazing because being part of that community fundamentally changed my entire perspective and my whole body of work and how I approached it just from, you know, having, you know, somebody like AJ in my life. Incredible. Yeah. I think, and I think the interesting thing too, is that your communities can change and evolve. Mm -hmm. So like I have this, um, kind of philosophy around community of communities Mm -hmm. And so how do we help people find their tribe at that moment? And then how do you foster those relationships and those bonds and, and build that rapport? And then sometimes, you know, people evolve, interests change, things like that change. And you go on to different communities. That doesn't mean you're leaving something else, just like a team, like you are now extending your community reach. And so how do we help communities be more sustainable though? That is a question that I am trying to better understand and think about and support because I feel really fortunate to be part of multiple communities. Yet at the same time, each community is looking for growth because Mm -hmm. they think that's going to help them be more sustainable and hopefully make more impact. But my idea and thought is that if communities can support each other's communities and understand how we're all eco connected, then hopefully we can all do more and, and be sustainable and, and, you know, take that meta (laughs) thought of what one community can do into the bigger scope of what a lot of communities can do together. Yeah. You know, it's it's interesting because um, I think you also made a really interesting observation about the fact that we we need different communities at different times in our development, which mm-hmm. you know, doesn't mean we're necessarily leaving people right. behind. But you know, I I noticed that even I outgrew certain you know groups that I used to belong to, or, or certain you know you just get to a certain chapter where you're like, this is no longer causing me to evolve and grow, so I have to move on from it, not abandon it, but you know, it's the next chapter inevitably. Right. Yep. And you want to make space for others, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's going to always be a growing wave of things. How do we help either the community continue to foster that group or then how does that community evolve with us? Mm-hmm. And so I think that's an interesting question for communities too, is like, are we serving a segment of people, a slice of their life, or are we a community that evolves as people evolve? You know, so yeah, interesting things to think about. So, uh, you know, I, I think we're, we're going to come full circle having, you know, been introduced by Bob Gower. Um, <laughs> I, I think that there's another sort of observation that I, I just came, you know, it came upon as, as you were saying that is, you know, finding this sort of distinction between community and cult and, and where do you draw the line? Uh-huh. Because, yes. you know, you look at things, um, you know, like the Landmark Forum. This is a, a great example in my mind, mainly <laughs> because I heard something in it, which really uh, about it that Dan Kennedy said in a copywriting seminar, he happened to be sitting next to Warner Earhart at a. Uh, barbershop and he said explain the whole landmark thing to me in one sentence and Mm. Werner Earhart said we sell independence but we breed dependence which Hmm. that is really disturbing considering you know how many and and here's the thing I've been through the landmark form and I think it's life-changing but I, I think that 
the the notion of a community that breeds dependence as opposed to gives people wings that concerns yeah. me. Right. Yeah. And then and that's kind of like the scarcity abundance mindset, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So like cults feel like this like ownership towards mm-hmm. individuals. And so I think that it's like the extremes in some instances. And so, I mean, I joked with you earlier, like cult is a core of culture yeah. <laughs> for organizations, totally. but there's a very fine kind of like magic to that. And mm-hmm. so, um, so yeah, being able to think about communities and cults and how do they kind of like interplay with each other? I feel like cults could just be a really extreme end of that spectrum uh-huh. because at the end of the day they are a community. But like you said, are they fostering the growth of those individuals to be better on their own independently and as part of the group or just when they're part of that group? Yeah. And so, um, yeah, I, yeah, I don't know. But <laughs> who knows? You may it may maybe have just given me my my idea for my next book. <laughs> Is how do we use the psychology of cults to build you know incredible brands and communities? Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. lots lots to learn from from each other. There's a lot of good good things to work from. Yeah. Well, this has been really, really cool. Um, so I have one final question, which is how we finish all of our interviews at the Unmistakable Creative. Um, what do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? Being true to themselves. Like that, uh, a big thing for me is alignment. Mm-hmm. And so being able to be true to that, I think will allow people to unmistakably be themselves. And so being able to honor that, I think is really important. And so people to really live their truth and seek opportunities that are in alignment with themselves, I think will allow them to continue living an unmistakable life. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So uh, where can people learn more about you and your work? Oh, I have very <laughs> low <laughs> social media presence. Okay. Um, so, I mean, LinkedIn is probably like my, you know, you can just see what I'm, what I've done and what I'm potentially up to next. Cool. And my contact information's on there. I'm, uh, I'm currently like not really online. So <laughs> I think my cell phone number's on there. So, you know, emailing, text me, whatever. But, um, but yeah, hopefully I can be of service or support anyone that needs support, you know, making their dreams happen. That's what I love to do. And so, um, so yeah, I yeah low low social media presence. I really love face to face and invest in that. So I joke that I have this um, personal mo that I would love to be the person that knows everybody, but nobody knows who I am. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so but I, I'm online. Just I, I'm not really super engaged in all, all the different platforms. <laughs> awesome. Well, uh, this has been fantastic. And for everybody listening, we will wrap the show with that next time on the Unmistakable Creative. One day I was in 11th grade um, chemistry class, and I was working on a chemistry uh, process after class one day, and all of a sudden I saw three popular girls from the school approaching me in the chemistry lab. (laughs) And I was a kind of a nerd, geek, um, kind of a, you know, but a funny one. And, um, but never had I seen three popular girls even glance in my direction. And so what were these girls doing? And so they came and they stood around my little chemical stand there and said, we want to talk to you. And I said, uh, okay. And they said, a girl named Tina, a friend of theirs, 
didn't have a date to the junior prom. And they knew for sure that I didn't have a date to the junior <laughs> prom, too, they said. So would it be possible for me to ask Tina to the prom? And I, I was just absolutely blown away by that because it was something I had never considered in a million years. I don't think I'd really thought much about you know, social kinds of things up until that very moment. I, I must have been 15 or 16 years old at the time. But there was this moment of realizing, wow, there's this social world out there with all these different games and rules and things like that. And I knew absolutely nothing about it. Author Gay Hendricks joins us to talk about tapping into your zone of genius and exceeding your personal limitations. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.